Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship together today, let me invite you. Let's take the Word of God. Let's open the Word of God and turn in the Word of God to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 today, we're going to starting in verse 17. And as you're turning to Mark chapter 10, we are coming back to Mark 10. The, the last few weeks we were looking at the and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to look as we go back and travel through the Word of God here in our series in the book of Mark. And so Mark chapter 10, there's an important conversation that the Pharisees try to have with Jesus about divorce. Jesus turns that conversation from divorce to talking about marriage. And we're going to revisit that because that's such an important conversation to know. What does Christ desire for us as one man and as one woman in a holy monogamous relationship in his name? And so we're going to look at that in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to walk through that as we go through the summer, Lord willing, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through Matthew chapter 7. But here we're going to look at verse 17. And as we come to the introduction of this man known as the rich young man, there's an important kind of event that happens prior to this, and it's about these little children being brought to Jesus. All three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, that being Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell the same story, that kids were being brought to Jesus, and the disciples were like, stop, we don't have time for kids' ministry. Jesus is trying to do bigger things than kids' ministry. And Jesus would say, no, 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 let the children come to me. Let them come to me. He says, for such uh, as these, the kingdom belongs to these that are like them. The kingdom belongs to the children, have childlike faith, the people who understand they have to come in humility, who have to come in hopelessness, the people who come realizing they need nothing but me. The kingdom belongs to people just like them. And that's important because this rich man that we find, he has no humility, and he has all the pride in the world, and he won't receive anything by faith. And so we're going to see in this passage how important it is that Jesus demands our helplessness before we find our hope in him. We have to realize how helpless and how hopeless we are before we can ever find our hope in the promise of Jesus Christ. And so if you will with me, let's stand together for reading of God's word. We're going to see the true riches in heaven today in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? And so from the very beginning, Jesus is laying down that there's no one good except God alone. And if this man's going to call Jesus good, then he must be calling him God. And so we're going to lay it out. Are you calling me God? Do you realize I am God? I am the only one good in this conversation. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, good news, teacher. I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, Loved him. Great compassion he has on those who are lost. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
This is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. You may have a seat this morning as we continue to walk through the Word of God together. I'm going to invite you to keep the Word open before you. I invite you to take the worship guide on the backside, follow along as we walk together through the Word, and we're going to plug in some things as we go. And I want two things to really stand out for us as we look at this man and as we look at our Jesus. All right, two things that are going to be in very big contrast as we think about the way this man comes to Christ and the way this man leaves Christ. And so first of all, I want you to see this. We see the rejection of a seeker. That's the first thing you can plug in. We see the rejection of a seeker. This man is seeking something, and he's seeking something in Christ, but we ultimately see that he rejects the thing that he seeks. And so we read in our text, a man runs up to Jesus, and he gets down on his knees, and he stops Jesus on his way out of town. Jesus and his disciples are moving their ministry. They're going to continue going on and and preaching and teaching and and healing and and delivering and providing the gospel. And as he's on his way out of town, this man stops. And we read about this man. He's a man of great position. He's a man with great power. He's a man of great prestige. And he's obviously a man with great possessions. But something inside of him knew, Jesus has something that I don't. Jesus possesses something that I don't possess. Jesus has a power that I don't have in my own possession. And he comes to Christ, and he comes asking the right question, and he comes asking the right person, but he uses the wrong pronoun. Right? Right person, wrong pronoun, because he comes thinking there's something that he can do to gain salvation. Look at verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do? Right person, right question, wrong pronoun. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, with this man, there was a major failure to connect. Have you ever had a connection issue before? Maybe failure to connect with your own Wi-Fi, failure to connect with different things in your car. Maybe your car is not connecting to your phone. Right? We always have these failures to connect. And, and for me and most men in this room, there's always that failure to connect with a TV remote and a TV, Right? All right, we have the TV remote, and somehow, for some reason, some different times, it's not working. Right? We can't get it on, or we can't get it off, or we can't change the volume. And so we, we self-diagnose the remote. And so we start mashing the buttons even harder. Right? Wives, you're laughing because your husbands do this. And they start pressing the buttons harder. They angle it. All right? we, we say, well, maybe it's this way, maybe it's that way, maybe I need to be in this chair or that chair. And then all of a sudden, we start banging our remote. Right? Start banging the batteries, banging our leg. That's going to fix it. Let's take the batteries out and put them back in see what happens. We try all kinds of different ways to get this connection restored, but there's a failure to connect. And this man, as presentable as he may be, as powerful as he may be, as much possessions as he has, he has a failure to connect. He's missing it. He's enthusiastic. He's humble on his knees. He's spiritually minded. He's asking questions about eternal life. He's morally clean. He's like, I've been obedient to do the word of God. He's impressive on every single level, but he's missing it. He doesn't have it because he wants to know what he can do. He wants to know what he can achieve instead of realizing what Jesus has done and all he has to do is receive. All right, what has been done is what he doesn't have to do and what can't be achieved he only has to receive. And so despite being so externally impressive, this man was eternally lost. 
He was so externally impressive, but he was so eternally lost. And so Jesus points him to the law. All right, you think you're good? Let's see how good you are. Let's do a little spiritual checkup on you. And so he says in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good. All right, so he's going to say, even you in this conversation, no one is good except God alone. And so you know the commandments. Here are the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness or lie. Do not defraud. And therefore, honor your father and your mother. And so Jesus wanted this man to see himself as a sinner in need of salvation, to see himself as a man not dependent upon good works to make him right with God. Why? Because Romans 3.10 tells that there is no one righteous. No, not one, right? No one is, understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not a single person in human history is good. So we understand that Jesus wants him to see this, but we have this man right here, despite Jesus establishing that no one is good except God alone, this man thinks he's really good. And what he's done is actually good enough. And he feels good about a spiritual performance because look, when he does the spiritual check in verse 20, how does he respond? He said to him, hey, teacher, man, great. That's good. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Just that? Boom. I got you. All these things I have kept from my youth. Is that it? That's all I have to do? I've nailed it. Passed the test. Got the exam done. Give me a passing grade. I have earned. I have desired. I have, have deserved eternal life. And so when he thinks that he's worked so hard to be so good and he feels like it's good enough and he thinks he's got it all together, there's something still inside of him. His soul is not settled, right? He wouldn't come to Christ if he knew that's all it took. He wouldn't be asking him, what do I need to do? He wants to make sure he's saved. And so Jesus tells him this, all right, you think you're good and you think that's good enough. You think you've nailed it. You think you're perfect. You think you're righteous. You think you're holy. All right, here's what I want you to do now instead. Verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, all right, you still lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. Now, we know this isn't what it means to be saved either. I mean, you can't leave today and be like, that's it. All I got to do is go sell all my stuff and, and give it to Habitat for Humanity, and I'm, on, I'm in good shape, right? Is that it? then boom, I'll do that. If that's all it takes, I'll get rid of all the things. I'll live a minimalistic lifestyle. That's not what it means to be saved. We know that's not where Jesus is leading this man. There's still nothing, No, that's still a work. There's still no work that you can do to gain your salvation. But what Jesus is teaching this man, and what Jesus is teaching us, is that there's no room for two kings in our lives. One man cannot serve two masters. Right, you can't serve both God and this world. You can't serve both God and yourself. There's a king on a throne, and there's only room for one king on the throne, and it's either King Jesus or there's no king at all. And so he says, you can't serve two masters, so go sell all that you have because I must be God alone in your life. And we see that this man, his wealth, his affluency, his morality, his performance of spiritual life, it replaced God and became an idol for him. Right, became an idol for him, and what this man is being called to do by Jesus is to repent. What do you see that? He says, I want you to go leave all of your old stuff behind and then come follow me. That's biblical repentance, is to leave all the stuff that causes you to sin, leave all the stuff that you've made an idol, leave all the stuff that becomes between you and God. He says, forsake all the foolishness of this world, turn and come follow me. 
It's a powerful picture of biblical repentance is to leave the old and follow the new. Repentance, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that results in a changed life. It's repentance of the old into the new. And the answer to salvation, the answer to soul satisfaction is found in just three words. Come, follow me. That's it. Young man, you want to be saved? Come, follow me. You want soul satisfaction? You want salvation? You want to know that you can have it all without having it all? Come, follow me. And I love this because, what, don't miss this, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I'll be your substitute. Let's get rid of all that stuff and just have me. I'm enough. Right? I'm the bread that never leaves you hungry again. I'm the water that never leaves you thirsty again. I'm the only thing that can satisfy you. The, the song back in, uh, sorry, excuse me, Ecclesiastes, Solomon would say that the eternity has been set in the heart of all men. And so we know that there is eternity in all of us and there's a desire for all of us to know God. And Jesus says, I'm the answer to that. Right? I'm the one who can satisfy that eternal hole in your soul. I'm the one that can only offer you fulfillment. And so he says, trade. Give up this world and gain me. Leave all this behind and have me. I'm enough. I'm sufficient. So he says, I will be the substitute of your emptiness, and I will give you eternal life. What an invitation when Jesus says to you, come, follow me. But he wouldn't take it. It was a sacrifice that he was unwilling to make because it says in verse 22, disheartened, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. He went away sad, for he had great possessions. You see, the tragedy here is what he owned owned him. What he owned owned him. And of all the people who ever came to Jesus, he's one of the only ones to ever walk away worse than when he showed up. Walked away worse than when he showed up. This man needed a new master. Jesus offered to be his master that would lead him into abundant eternal life, and the man turned him down. I want you to see three things about this man really fast. Three points of application as we think about the rejection of the seeker. Number one is this. You can be spiritual and not be saved. Now, you can be spiritual and not be saved. I mean, this man of all people, he's religious. This man of all people, he knows enough about church to even know the law of God. This man of all people, he not only knows enough about church, knows enough about the law, he even knows how to obey it. Right, he's actually living it almost more than most of us in this room. But his fundamental problem was he thought that he was good, and he thought being good was good enough. But let me just break a truth out on you right now. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Right? Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. If you are counting on your goodness, if you are counting on your spiritual performance, if you're counting on your own self-righteousness, the sin that I had to repent of in my life, then you will never be good enough. Never. You can be spiritual and still not be saved. You can also be religious and still rot in hell. You can also still be religious and find yourself rotting in hell. If this man walking away from Jesus, from the invitation to have eternal life, if he walks away, if he never repents of his sin, if he never calls upon the name of the Lord, believing in faith and trusting that Jesus is the only way to be saved, then this man's destination is hell. Separation from God for all eternity. And he will walk straight into hell 
a wealthy man, a spiritual man, a religious man who had it all and then lost it all in outer darkness. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, hey, there's going to be a lot of people who say, Lord, Lord, do we not call upon your name? Do we not cast demons out of your name? Do we not do ministry in your name? There's going to be a lot of people who think that they belong who don't belong because they are putting it all on what they have done instead of the work that has been done for them in Christ. And so there's going to be a lot of people on their way to hell saying, but wait, I did things for you, Jesus. I checked off the Sunday box. I served in kids' ministry. I was a deacon. I did all these things for you, Jesus. Isn't that enough for you? And he will say this. It says in Matthew 7, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you workers of wickedness, for I never knew you. Does Jesus know you? Does he count you one of his own? Do you call him Lord? Because here's the last thing. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There is no middle ground. He's either Lord of your life or he's not Lord at all of your life. Or he's Lord of everything or he's not Lord of anything. See, what we try to do is joint custody. All right, Jesus, you got Sunday, maybe Wednesday, but I got the rest. Right? I've got my finances, I've got my job, I've got my, my lifestyle, I've got all this, but you can have just a Sunday. In fact, let's just kind of narrow it down to a couple hours on a Sunday, okay? That's, that's all we're going to do. And at this point, maybe let's just do two, two Sundays a month, okay? So we try to negotiate, and we try to play this game where we try to barter with a holy God and say, God, you can be Lord of this, but you can't be Lord of that. And that's not how it works. He's either king of kings and Lord of lords, or he's nothing. And I just would honestly ask yourself, is Jesus Lord of your life? Does he run the show? Or do you just ask him for help every now and then? You just bring him in when you're desperate. See, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. For this man, the cost was too great. I don't need a Lord. I don't need a new master. And he walks away, sad and worse than he ever arrived. So we see the rejection of a seeker. A sorrowful picture of a man who walks away from salvation and walks back into his own sin. And then we see the second thing, though, because Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He is going to tell us how to have life. We see the reward of a Savior. All right, the reward of a Savior. Go back to our text. We're going to continue in verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, after the man walked away, he said, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's not saying that you... If you have wealth, that it's harder for you. It's just saying we have a lot of things in our lives that make no room for Jesus. So how difficult it will be for those who have no room for Christ to enter the kingdom of God because they're so busy with everything else. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easy for a camel. He uses an extreme example, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? Right? Well, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, wouldn't you expect Jesus to stop the man from walking away? Wait, stop, come back. Let's just do half. All right, just sell half. All right, I don't, I don't need everything from you. I just need a few things from you. Wouldn't you expect Jesus to, to have so much compassion upon the man? Wouldn't you expect him to maybe lower the bar, make it a little easier? No, no, okay, fine. That, that, all right, that feels extreme to you. All right, let, let me soften it down a little bit for you. Let's, let's tone it back. Let's start you in baby steps, and then we'll work your way up. No, he doesn't do any of those things. 
He doesn't stop and call him back. He doesn't beg for him to come follow him. He doesn't try to persuade him. He doesn't try to lower the bar for him. He doesn't try to barter and bargain with him. There's nothing that he does to that would kind of imply for us that he wants to make it easier for this man to follow him. There's nothing that says, I want you to follow me when it's convenient. I want you to follow me because it's comfortable. No, what this man is understanding as Jesus is calling us is that salvation requires full surrender. Salvation requires full surrender. You have to be willing to say, I am a sinful man in the hands of a holy God, and I give my whole life to you, Jesus. I was made by you. I was made through you. I was made for you. And that's what John chapter 1 says. That's what Colossians chapter 1 says, is that all things were made by God, for God, and through God, and we are no exception. And so we have to be in full surrender to the Savior, and the disciples can't believe their ears. They're like, well, then who in the world can be saved? I mean, if this guy can't be saved, then who can? I mean, this guy's got it. He's got everything. He's so impressive. I mean, he'd be a star in the cast of the 12 disciples, right? Everyone looked at him like, well, I mean, the rich young man, he's got it all going on. He's, man, he's so much better than us. Look how good he looks. Look how much money he has. Look at the power. Man, he performs. This guy, man, he's so much nicer than we are, right? I mean, he doesn't just speak his mind like Peter does. Like He's a better person. This is how you would compare these guys. And so salvation, we understand, is not something we gain. Salvation is something that's always been given. And Peter speaks up. Verse 28. He begins to say, look, Jesus, we left everything and we followed you. Look at us. What about us? Is it better for us or is it better for him? I mean, he still has everything he has. We have nothing. You have to remember when the disciples started following Jesus, it says they left their nets and they left their boats behind. The disciples started following Christ. They left everything. They left family businesses. They left relationships. They left security. Right? Talk about a job. They left that behind. They're going to start following Jesus and wandering around the Middle East with him. Right? This is what they're going to do. Like they left everything behind. They left all their security, all their place in the world. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. And so Peter's like, what about us? What is in it for us? What have we done? Where does this whole scenario leave us when we started following you? And what this teaches us in this, in this passage of Scripture is that in order for us to not just be a Sunday Christian, but to be an obedient follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, in your life there must be nothing that is untouchable. There must be nothing that you reserve for yourself to keep and not allow God to have. Whatever you surrender to God, you surrender everything to God. I don't just say, God, I give you everything. Oh, but not that. See, that's the young man. He's like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He says, do this. He goes, oh, that. That's the only thing I didn't want you to say. That's the only thing I didn't want you to call me to give up. And I'm not willing to do it. And so for Peter, he's like, we've left everything, and here's what Jesus tells them. Hey, whatever you lost for the sake of following me, the blessings actually outweigh the losses. Look in verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one, all right, that covers everybody. There's no one who has left the house or, or family, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or maybe even their hometown, their lands, for my sake 
And for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. There's going to come at a cost, but in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. Here's what I want you to see in this passage, because we think about that doesn't sound like a very good deal. All right, that sounds really hard. I want you to see this. Jesus isn't talking about losing anything. He's talking about gaining everything. He's not about losing anything. He's talking about gaining everything. In other words, he says, hey, when you give up something for me, the thing you gave up is actually the thing you get, but you get it a hundred times over. I mean, look at kingdom math right here. You will not receive, for my sake, a hundredfold, now in this time, but also in the age to come, eternal life. Don't miss that. The thing you gave up, you actually never lost because Christ is going to give it to you, but it's going to be better and more blessed as a result of you surrendering it to him. All right, can I just tell you that from firsthand testimony that I've given up home, I've given up family, I've given up dreams and desires to follow Christ, and it's been better than I could ever possibly imagine. All right, I'm a kid from Texas, right? I wanted to be Texas forever, right? Here I am in Arkansas. Y'all hate me because I'm a Longhorn, and I'm okay with that. But I've given up a life of going to Longhorn football games and a life with my family. They all live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I grew up. They're all together. My wife, she's left all of her entire family behind in northwest Arkansas because we have a calling in our lives to do what God has called for us to do here. And let me tell you, we have more family than we've ever, ever had before. We have more blessings than we could ever have if we were we wanted to be. And I'm richer spiritually in every way possible, relationally in every way possible. I have more wealth than I could ever obtain on my own because of the hundredfold blessing of Jesus Christ by a church family and by a mission that he's called me to have. What about you? What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to gain? Because what we're seeing in this passage of scripture is that Jesus can multiply your life in ways that you can't. My story, because of my arm, has always been God can do much more with much less than I can with all of it, right? That's kind of been my statement. God can do much more with much less than I can with all of anything. And that's exactly what this passage teaches us. God can do a lot more with a whole lot less than you can with all of it. Surrender. Submit. Give it up. Come follow me. There's a story about a man named John Wesley. John Wesley is the, one of the most famous pastors and theologians of all time and John Wesley was out preaching one day, and some people ran up to him and said, John, we got an emergency message for you, and we're so sorry to tell you this, but your house has burned down. And he's like, that's impossible. He said, no, no, man, we understand, brother. Like, we were there. We saw with our own eyes. Your house has burned down. It's burned down to the ground. He goes, that's impossible. No, John, it's not impossible. We saw with our own eyes. It's actually very possible. You've lost your house, and you've lost everything that you owned. Everything is gone. There's nothing left. And again, he goes, that's impossible because I don't own a house. God gave me a house, and I've been using that house for his kingdom. He's entrusted me with that house. But if God allowed that house to burn down to the ground, then that's his problem, and he's going to find me another place for me to live. See, he realized the stuff that he owned didn't own him. But the Jesus that owned him was the Jesus that he owned in possession of glory. Are you holding on to Christ? Or when you lose something, do you lose too? 
Because when we lose, we actually gain because we don't actually lose anything in Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing with this young man, he, wants you, he says this, I want you to imagine your life, young man, without money. Imagine your life without any money. Imagine your life without any of all your stuff. All you're left with is me. Am I enough? And for the young man, the answer is no. Jesus, just you? No thanks. And he walked away sad. But I would challenge you today, what's the one thing in your life? If Jesus says, hey, John, I'm going to take this away from you. And all you're going to be left with is me. Am I enough for you? How would you answer that question? Can you walk away sad? Or are you going to stay and get saved? Right? Walk away disheartened or stay and, and be completely changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to this morning understand that you exchange your life here and your treasure here, and you gain it a hundredfold in Christ. There's nothing that he cannot bless in obedience. Surrender your life to Jesus. So here's the last thing I want you to see this morning as we wrap this text up and take it home. We don't come to Jesus because he makes life better. We come to Jesus because he's better than life. All right, we don't come to Jesus because, hey, he's going to make my life better. I'm going to be blessed. I want that hashtag blessed, right? We don't come because he makes our life better. That's not the way this, this whole thing works. We come to Jesus because he is better than life. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.